0: Welcome to African Women in Dialogue. I'm Lebo Masang. Thank you for listening. We are here today to fulfill a necessary mission, to document our stories in our voices for future generations. We will not be forgotten. Our names will echo loudly through the corridors of history, All the women who came before us, and the brave ones yet to come, who dare to confront patriarchy, violence and inequality in fearless declaration, who stand brave and unmoving to reclaim what colonialism tried to violate and shame, our joy, our dignity, our humanity. If any of our African sisters are still in chains, then how can we ever claim to truly be free? Jambo to all of our listeners today as we speak to a wonderful woman from Kenya. Welcome to African Women in Dialogue, where our esteemed guests share their journey, their joys, and their story in their voice. Jambo, Edita Ochieng, how are you today?
1: Jambo, thank you so much for hosting me today. I'm okay. I'm feeling good, and I'm really excited to be here.
0: And we are so excited to have you. I mean, you are an award winner. You're a proud and passionate intersectional feminist who is globally recognized yet deeply rooted in grassroots activism in Kibera, in Nairobi, Kenya. What brought you to a life of activism, particularly for the issues affecting
1: women? Activism, I would say it has been my life. I just growing up in Kibera. And also coming from a very patriarchal community, where women and girls were subjected to different things. So just growing up in such a community, yearning to have a difference, yearning to have a voice, yearning to defend women, yearning to defend girls' rights. Then this has been part of my life because I grew up in a community that discriminated girls, and I saw the difference when I was young. I had to voice when I was young, and it was really difficult because of even colorism uh discrimination that came along when you are dark in your community and also you're speaking native language it was not easy so for me looking at uh, i cannot recall when i was around uh when i was less than four years old but i would say i uh, immediately i had memories of my childhood i was a, an activist because for me activism is something that has enabled us to in- influence policy in this country activism is not noise but sometimes, yes, I will say it is noise. You make noise so that the system can hear you well, so that people that are around you can know things are not getting well and you don't like a certain way of life. Um, and again, the experiences that I had when I was a young girl was not easy because I realized, uh, for me personally, I'm a survivor of sexual and gender-based violence. At six years old, I was... Uh, defiled by, by a neighbor, and uh, just threatening me, telling me I was supposed to shut up. It is something that made me to realize and uh, acknowledge there was normalization of defilement later at an early age, because at 16 years old, it also happened to me, by also a neighbor and one of my relatives, whom my father used to shelter him in our home. It was not an easy process because there, i was pregnant i had to go for unsafe abortion it was a very difficult experience for me as a teenage girl and at that time also i was doing my o-levels and my dreams were just shattering because i took a lot of time investing in my emotion i took a lot of time bleeding i took a lot of time for medication and it was not um from a service provider i used to Um, ensure that I was just medicating myself with painkillers and anything that was around. And then at 21 years old I realized that most of the girls where I came from in Kisumundogo village in Kibra were defiled were raped at tender age. But again we were sharing perpetrator unknowingly and it means this perpetrator was really powerful taking advantage of our silence as young girls, taking the situation because advantage of the situation because uh, growing up in Kebela, most of us were economically challenged and we live under poverty. Just living under poverty really uh, made us to be vulnerable to different issues in our communities. So after realize, realizing that we were silent, not because we knew, but because somebody was taking advantage of young girls the men, the patriarchal nature of our community didn't realize that rape was a rape, but they normalized it. Like, when you come to share, they're like, it happens to women. Why are you talking about it? Why are you framing men like that? And then I realized that um, most of us had different issues. Some of us had mental issues. Some of of, of us were infected with HIV. Some of us had fistula. By then, in 2000, around 2010 and 2011. So it means we had to do something. It means that we had to amplify our voices together. And uh, we started a very organic movement, and it was dubbed Kibira Young Women Network, because we were looking at the gaps in the community, and we didn't have um, a, a solidarity movement that could amplify our voices at that time. So activism has been part of my life. And every single day, activism is my sister. It is my shadow. Activism is my children.
0: Wow, editor, And we appreciate you being able to um, share that story and to be able to use those moments of vulnerability and pain in your life to connect with other girls and women, to be able to create a force of solidarity because, you know, if you, as you mentioned, it was something that was normalized in your community. And, of course, it's very difficult to change things when no one sees anything wrong, you know, when this is just the way of life, when suffering is a way of life for women. Uh, so it's incredible that you were able to form this Kibrayan women. Network um, in your community. And may I ask, is that what also fueled you uh, towards establishing the Feminist for Peace, Rights and Justice Center?
1: At the movement, uh, we realized also <laughs> we were so radical and we wanted immediate change. You know, when we we're young, we we're so fiery, mm-hmm. again, we were angry with the system. So we realized we had too much energy and getting too much energy, Kibira Young Women Network, it was a good network, it amplified voices, but again we needed something that it was so radical. So attending different meetings from women, I realized that I was a feminist but I I didn't know the definition of feminism because actually at that point feminism was not localized, the term feminism was not in the local community. So when women were describing in different meetings whatever they were doing, I And uh, at that time also, I read about feminism, especially the African feminism. Looking at what women were doing, then I realized I was a feminist. Then immediately, we had a new concept in Kibra, not uh, by the word, by definition, like we are feminists, but already we were doing feminism work unknowingly. So this is a point that we realized we need to be radical. And feminism, uh, the way I was getting and reading from different uh, books and just getting from uh, different women, we realized we realized that we are feminists and feminism is our thing, and feminism was going to accommodate all of our radical ideologies. So we came with the Better Young Women Network, and uh, it was uh, formed as a community-based organization, and it started in 2016, registered in 2018, and this network was uh, the people who came with this network, the founders of this network again was survivor of sexual and gender-based violence. And um, in all diverse, in all forms of sexual and gender-based violence, personally, I came from gang rape, other came from traditions. Uh, for example, in my community where I come from, you need to have intersexual intercourse with your husband immediately after giving birth ar- around 7 to 15 days. You need to have sex with your husband so that at least you can like cleansing your husband so when he walks out of the marriage or he walks out of the relationship or your partner you cannot kill your baby so it's something that has been going on all in my community and so many women in my community especially younger generation has also been a victim to such cultures again fgm in kibra whereby most of the young girls are taken to rural area or rural setup they're fgm and then they come back to Nai- nairobi so we were looking at all forms of sexual and gender-based violence and we realized we had the same pain and uh, we had the same vision to ensure that girls were getting into leadership pos- position So we started matching talents and leadership because we believe that on leadership when i'm a leader in my community i'm so responsible when i'm a leader i'm so influential so we were trying to tell young girls you are a leader and you are influential and we need to take responsibility to power our voices first. Because our voices is the only machinery that we have. We don't have any machinery. So we powered mm-hmm. our voices to say no. And no means no. We To say, I don't like, and other people respect it. I like this, and other people respect different and diverse views. So <clears throat> this movement was really... Uh, uh, a great thing that happened in Kibra. Because initially, again, we didn't have women who were consistently defending and championing for radical change. We didn't have uh, communities that were yearning for diversity. Like, yes, you're a woman, you're coming from a local community, you're a lesbian woman, you're a trans woman, and everybody will accommodate you. We had that normal, and that normal for us, it was boring. And we wanted something that all young women will come and understand that there is freedom, there is life to enjoy, there is rights to enjoy, there is policies that guide us as young women, there is choices that we need to have as young women. So Feminist Centre provided that, and it was not easy also just to be a founder of Feminist Centre, because there was a backlash from patriarchy, because patriarchy um, looked and saw that that was a very big impediment for them to take advantage of women. And uh, they were like, no, these women are not married. We had insults. We've also um, undergone so many threats in Kibra because of just having a feminist centre and a radical movement that is advocating for women's rights. And it has consistently uh, been there for women with no apologies and uh, working 24 hours. Which is not easy that is where feminist center started and here we are today yawning for more and looking at how do we also work and partner and build multi-generational movement and uh, that, so that at least younger generation can keep on um advocating for women rights in a very radical way at the same time at feminist center also we respect other women who believe in different aspects but at the same time We believe that women human rights are human rights they're supposed to be defended they're supposed to be protected they're supposed to be enforced they're in um, universal and uh, if our governments don't implement human rights change makers and we influence and implement some of these policies ourselves that's actually so incredible
0: and i was going to ask you about the feminist for peace rights and justice center have there been you know, any resistance? And you've just said now that uh, patriarchal people were incredibly upset about it, its existence and there were threats. So how are you able to keep continuing? What drives you to continue even with the threats, even with perhaps it feeling dangerous sometimes? What keeps you going and what keeps you having that center open as a space for a uh, as a space of community and fighting for women's rights?
1: Uh, For me, I want to also take this opportunity to thank women who have been there initially because they've kept me moving Mm -hmm. in absentia of women who have rested and also women who are present today at older age and still fighting and advocating for the change for women's rights to be implemented fully. So these women have really inspired me every single day, because when I read about these women, especially here in Kenya and generally in Africa, like uh, Winnie Mandela, she's somebody that I didn't meet in person, but I know I'm go- I meet with her in spirits because the power she had to liberate South Africans, the power she had to fight against apartheid is something that in Kibera as a local woman inspired me. Wangari Mathai, Mathakarua, Milred Ngesa, uh, Saida, Mohamed. These are few among few women that I'll just a call uh, because I've seen their work, I've seen their resistance, and I've seen their fruits fighting for women's rights every single day. So with that inspiration here in the community and realizing that violations have been always there deliberately mm-hmm. since... Um, colonization up to to date in new millennium whereby we need to enjoy our rights and we are not enjoying our rights. Our oppression system of oppression and um, also the intertwined issues that women face every single day are things that have kept me moving because if these are the issues that women are undergoing, I'm also a woman, then it is my issue. Um, Solidarity support whereby if South Africa is burning today, and there is a woman who is burning, or a child of a woman, or a husband of a woman, or a daughter of a woman, I'm that woman, then it means Kibira is also burning. So solidarity is something that has kept me moving because I know when we amplify our voices together, we are going to be much better and we're going to build a new Africa. Any other form of inequality that has suppressed women, that has oppressed women, it is something that has kept me going because I'm in the watch, I'm looking at this woman, I'm looking at all intersectional issues that affect this woman. Then also it is my agenda as an individual, at an individual level, as a woman again, to ensure that I'm keeping moving on and I'm, I'm defending women's rights. Because I talked about our women's rights are human rights and they're universal. So when I'm defending women's rights, I need to defend Women without discrimination without being biased so all these issues plus women who are working around all these issues are things that has kept me moving plus the donors and organization like um even the movement like Afwid, uh these are the uh, there's strong pillars that let me tell you even at grassroots level we feel the work of women Afrid and any other woman who is doing something to change how our community looks and all these aspects are things that kept me moving because i know we are not yet there and if we relent today if we relent today or if we just think that we need to relent then we are damaging africa women are going to suffer more and more but when we are resistant today yes we are going to suffer but don't as much as when we relent. So we are there and we are keeping moving different issues. And um, looking at also the future of younger girls who are there today, the adolescent girls, young girls who are affected by pandemic and young girls who they have a voice, but they they haven't acknowledged the power in their voice. They haven't acknowledged they're so influential to come stand for their rights and fight back and get what belongs to them. All these women, trans women, lesbian women, young women in our community, adolescent women, are people who are motivating me to do the work that I'm
0: doing.
1: Uh, thank you. Back to you.
0: Oh, that is amazing, Edita. And you're right. You know, these, these women uh, across generations who have inspired us, And even though they're not on the earth anymore, you know, their cause was able to shift something in their generation. And so it is up to us to do what we can to shift things for the generation that is still coming. Um, And it's very clear that your work and the passion that you exude uh, does exactly that. In terms of the Feminist for Peace Rights and Justice Center, can you paint a picture for us, please, about how it functions on a day-to-day basis um, who does it serve in the community and how? Uh, who is involved in it? Can you just uh, give
1: us a sense of that, please? So a Feminist Center, uh, we are 30 of us and very active members of the community. We are a community-based organization that is a young women-led organization using feminist ideologies to, uh, pro- to promote change in our community. Uh, we have different young women who are doing, who have different roles and who are also students, we have um, domestic workers, we have uh, queer women, and uh, at the same time also, we have women who are sex workers uh, that are working with us, who are benefiting from us directly and indirectly. So first of all, we do mentorship for young girls, because for us, mentorship, is how we can bridge intergenerational gap that has been existing for the longest time. And mentorship is where we can also uh, take challenges as opportunities. Uh, Through mentorship is where we can also link these young girls to resources. And through mentorship is whereby these girls can grow up and understand there is a difference and they can visualize the future, how uh, they want the future to look like. So, In mentorship, we have 45 young girls within Kisumondogo areas, because it is easy for them also to to resonate with our office. Our office is inside the village. Our office is still a muddy office, but recently we renovated our office and uh, we cemented our office ourselves so that at least girls can get somewhere to run to somewhere, acquire information. So. Again, the other thing that we are doing, we are doing also training and leadership for young women plus adolescent girls. Uh, th- through training, we are doing economical training whereby right now we are making soap because we need to empower young women economically. i looking at how COVID affected different women and really COVID, COVID destroyed our plans, shaped our lifestyle as young women in Kibera then we realized there was an opportunity also to make soap because initially people even up to date, it was advised by Ministry of Health worldwide that we were supposed to wash our hands openly. So we took that advantage and we were so creative enough and we came out uh, to make liquid soap and supply to the community at a very affordable price, just maintaining the materials, because also the communities were really vulnerable at at that time, and most of the women were not working. Uh, But we used to sell our SOAP to organization, a different organization, and provide uh, the remaining SOAP to the community to ensure that uh, they continue washing their hands to prevent prevent the spread of COVID-19. So this is something that really ventured. And at that time, we had so many women and young girls reporting gender-based violence. So it was a big opportunity also to and integrate our services to uh, a bigger way uh, to train women on soap making and tell them the importance of being financially independent, to have money in their pockets, to have alternative way. When we speak about alternative way, we realize so many women, when they were experiencing gender-based violence, it was really difficult for them to move from point A to B because they didn't have money for transport. So when you have money for transport, you can move your children, you can move your property to a point B, when you're thinking about starting a new life or when you just just want to sit down, to relax and get thoughts of whatever future that you want or when you're also, as an institution, thinking about how do we refer this woman to the next uh, service provider, because some of the women were coming with injuries and they needed uh, an urgent action, like to see a doctor and also to report these all these cases to the police, and sometimes also as an institution, because when Feminist Center, as much as it's a community-based organization, activism has been a key, and we've been doing activism on unpaid labor that nobody, is that on a salary at Feminist Center, nobody is earning anything. So the, through this soap making, it was really easier for us now to start organizing so well in a very structured way, to have a small money to move our cases from point A, B or C, and also to help women facilitate all these procedures because it was really difficult. And another thing that we do, we do political empowerment and this one we are doing deliberately. Uh, we realized there was a gap in um, NGOs and civil society as a whole, because they say, uh, most of the civil society say they're not pro-politics. And when we speak about underrepresentation of women globally, it is something I think at personal level, uh, it was done deliberately because the root for empowerment for women is this movement that we have. And if we are not pro-politics, if you're not speaking about politics and everything is politicized in Africa, then we are lying to ourselves because this is where a woman will come, get to understand what is happening around leadership and governance. Then how do we get responsible and uh, make our leaders accountable and have integrity if we don't speak politics? So for us, political education is deliberately. Political education for young women to understand in this revolution that we're having as African women were involved. They don't need to have fear to continue with the same thing. Political education in a sense that even a woman who is doing local work in our community needs to understand that having or lacking sanitary towels as a woman, it is politicized. Because we are guided by policy and policies are made into political platform. So we are doing that deliberately so that women can understand in anything that they're doing whatsoever, when you're sleeping, when you're sick, when policies are not working, it is because we have a political system that is not strengthened enough and it is underrepresented. And when women are underrepresented, then we cannot get anything that we've been yearning for as women movements and also at grassroots communities. So, that one we are doing uh, deliberately. And the last thing that we do, I talked about the power of women and uh, women just having uh, great voices. And uh, yes, we know it is really difficult also right now just how the system has been working, the patriarchal system, the capitalism system against women. Yes, we have strongest voices. And what we know. That when we have a stronger voice, we have a very strong movement among ourselves. It is something that will agitate the system and will make the system to understand that women are not joking and women need to change deliberately. So I believe that nobody can take my voices from me as much as they will step on me, as much as they are not providing what they promise, but at least I know I can come out and speak and I can come out and speak, as my, even if I'll stand alone, but I know that I'll speak my voice up. So we are doing also social empowerment and we are looking at the voices of young women, even the older women, women with disability, to make our social activism, to bring social change in our community. Because retrogressive cultures uh, that has been their traditions, uh, all surrounding all these issues, have really promoted women to be vulnerable so with our voices because initially i said what we have today at feminist center is the biggest machinery that we have is our voices voices Mm -hmm. to say whatever voices to choose whatever we are yearning for and voices to tell the world that we're existing we know what we want and we can do it better if we are involved effectively and meaningfully in all this process. So we are looking at three aspects. Social life, which is categorized in ent- environmental issues. That's why when we are working when empowering also women on soap making and right now we are working in plastic, we are also for advocating for eco, eco-friendly environment by recycling the plastic that we are using as we look at alternative ways. We are looking at retrogressive cultures. How do we get in conversation? to bring social change for women, to say no to gender-based violence. To as say no to gender-based violence, we also practice all these policies, all this information that we are getting in the movement. Because practicing means change, apart from just speaking and also making a lot of noise, but we also put them on our daily practice so that we can be example. And uh, talking about social aspects, also making girls to have self-esteem, to be so confident enough. Because I was just speaking to young women who are in activism and sometimes bod- uh, they are bothered with relationship issues because they are told that when you are empowered, then you won't have a man that will marry you. But for us, we are there, we are empowered, we are in a relationship. When relationship is not working, also we walk away so that these also young girls can understand that if it is not, a, if it's not working, it is okay. And just making it an okay thing. If you are a woman and you are single, it is okay. If you are a woman and you are married, it is okay. If you are a woman and you are a widow, it is okay. If you are a woman and you are raising children alone or they are orphan, it is okay. So that we can embrace diversity. So we are looking at all that aspect to make this woman a very firm woman in a community a woman who is knowledgeable and a woman who is transformative for social change because when we're doing all these aspects of leadership our end product is having transformative young women who are leaders in our community to continue advocating for championing for women's rights and that is what we do at Feminist Center we have also a rescue center whereby when women are abused we rescue them for 48 hours and uh, Because of financial challenges, we cannot rescue these women for a longer time. And also where our office is right today, uh, it is not safe to keep those women for longer. What I love about Feminist Center, the women who are around, and even the community who are around Feminist Center, they've really accommodated the space. Uh, When we have a survivor at our center, communities have always been providing food for them. So it's something that... I've been working and it's something that I've been co- uh, uh, thanking my community because they know the challenges that we face every single day and they've come in solidarity because if they don't rescue that woman, then who else can't rescue that woman? Just taking the initiative of even living with survivors in our home, especially during COVID when young girls were really uh, sexually violated and uh, some of them gave birth and they were supposed to go back to school. And it was really um, inspiring how my community organized, especially women, and taking initiative to live with these young girls for more than three months, for them to go back to school, have their exams, and then give them back to their families. It is something that really inspired me because they invested in those girls. They provided food, uh, safe space for those girls, just understanding that gender-based violence is our thing as women, and we've been affected directly and indirectly, and it means we need to amplify our voices together. Another thing that we do, also we have a survivor dialogue, that we use it as a therapeutic way, whereby we come, we speak about our issues, what happened, we recruit more members, we journey with them, as we link them with to our economical empowerment forums, and we have sustainable feminist dialogue. Sustainable, sustainable Feminist Dialogue, we meet every Fridays. We are just looking at how do we equalize the movement and how do we take the movement back home? How do we put activism in our homes so that when I'm raising my children, they need to understand activism is a good thing to, to shift a narrative and also to push and influence policies. So every Fridays at 2pm, we meet at our homes and if you come in my home, for example, on this Friday, the next Friday, I will we'll come to a home whereby we unpack patriarchy at our home, at our home because patriarchy also is as associated with poverty, how women are living in slums, how women are living uh, with under-representation and uh, a despairing, despairing women economically. So when you come in my home, some of the challenges will be seen, some of the challenges I will share, and we connect connected, patriarchy. why do we feel safer as women, yet we have good policies, so this initiative has really tried also to uh, mobilize our children into the movement, to make our children understand it is right to start activism in our doorsteps, because charity for us starts at home, if I don't change my family, if I don't transform the attitude of my parents, of my brothers, of my father, then Idea, yeah, it will be difficult. And um, it has really worked for different young women. For me as an individual, the courage has really come because my father has really associated with my activism. My father has understood that it is okay for young women or even older women to access safer abortion. It is okay if women are other women, like diversity of women, we have lesbian women, we have trans women, whatever it is, because localizing activism at our host, household level has really shifted a lot of attitudes and have really shifted so many narratives at house, household, household level. Yeah, among other things, those are what we do actively at Family Center. We do community dialogues, our community outreaches in school, and also t- uh, ensuring that we are engaging young men to understand what gender means. Not the gender that has been problematic, but the new face of gender. The new face of gender that means um, equality without apologizing. The new set of gender that means women are not slaves when they come into a relationship as a man. It doesn't mean when you are marrying a woman, they come in a, in a relationship as a slave, but they come to help you, to support you people, support the relationship so that you, both of you can reach your mission. Yeah, that is what we do at Community Center.
0: Thank you, editor. That is wow. That is incredibly impressive. That is amazing because what I've heard, you know, um, you've spoken political education, mentorship, endless support uh, for young women, for older women, for sex workers, for trans women, helping women to escape uh, economic violence being anti-GBV and and doing the work around ensuring that there is less gender-based violence in the community, COVID-19 awareness as well, addressing the environment, having those um, survivor dialogues and community dialogues, speaking to boys, of course, and not leaving them out of the loop, uh, which, you know, can sometimes happen when we focus a lot, of course, on the people who are affected most, which is women and girls. And all of this sounds really remarkable editor because you know you are one woman and all of you all 30 of you in the feminist center are individuals but you are clearly making an impact if you are able to address this at so many levels, you know, you're not just looking at it from one angle, but you are trying as much as possible to address it, where it occurs, how it occurs, and you know, the personal is political. Doing it in the home as well, that of course is going to have a generational shift, as we mentioned earlier, where boys and girls will become the men and women that begin to relate in a more healthy way in society. And as I mentioned, all of these incredible things that are being done by the feminist center, you were recently awarded the Unsung Heroes Award by the Wangari Mathai Foundation for your activism in this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I am assuming that this is the kind of work that you are awarded for. What does it mean for you uh, to have this work being recognized with such an honor?
1: Well, thank you again. And uh, for Wangari Mathai Award for the Unsung Hero, it is something that I would say I appreciate from the bottom of my heart. And it was really dearly in my heart. And um, there was a few emotions here and there, because it means for the longest time, with all this struggle, somebody acknowledged the work that we were doing, not as an individual. I just carried the award, but I was looking at that award every day. And this award did not... uh, belong to me as an individual, as much as it was written my name, but the women who have been a pillar to the work that we are doing in this community, it belongs to my, my community and Kenya as a whole, because it represented the voices of different women. And uh, it is something that really made us to be proud because for the longest time at grassroots level and uh, doing local activism, so many people don't acknowledge our work because they've seen our work as as if we are crazy women. And uh, being crazy for us, it has been a strategy and it has been deliberate because when you are crazy, nobody wants to deal with you. And when you are crazy, you are free because you are not oppressed because you are crazy. So a lot of the works at the community level are not highlighted because here in Kibera just getting have uh, being involved with young women program in different organizations at individual level and at organizational level. Young women are really doing so much in the community, but their work is not highlighted. Their work is not funded. But here comes the award that also came with um, um some amount of money. And uh, it was time of COVID where even us who were helping the communities, giving community uh work, uh, um, different things like uh, food, clothing, just ensuring that communities were surviving. And then we had money. First of all, mental health is a thing for us as feminists. We were really worn out, we were really stressed, and we were really also toxic among ourselves because we've worked entirely, saving the community, but we didn't have time because of social distancing and a lot of things a lot of measures that were put by our World Organization, it was really difficult for us even to sit in one room and just have fun. So when this money came, it was really easier now also to invest in our self-care, to rejuvenate our energy, because self-care is also a value for feminists, as we promote sisterhood. So it, it really brought a difference because we had to sit among ourselves, build our team, and revamped our inner back uh, through the self-care session that we had among ourselves and also looking at where we went wrong at individual point and organizational level. We had to do our SWOT analysis to ensure that we promote sisterhood among ourselves. And uh, with that, looking at uh, the context of Kenya, it motivated young women who are working in local communities, because I was the first one to win the award and I was the first of this award. And so many people, the young women, older women have been looking at the work that we've been doing and they thought that the work that we've been doing were funded with different people. And then when speaking to different platforms, telling the world, telling women, local communities to be sincere, we've never been funded. We've funded our activities ourselves by making time for feminist centre by bringing resources, our own resources, our own chairs, at Feminist Center. It also amplified our voices because when COVID also came, so some of the civil organization, organizations came also to oppress the communities because they gave women, some women expired sanitary towel during pandemic. Some women even, some women took even expired food because they didn't have alternative especially from companies. They kept um, so many products and at that time the products were not being sold, so Kibera was a dumping site. And not only in Kibera, I realized also other rural setup and other informal settlements. It was a dumping site for other companies bringing things that they were not using and they were expired already. And the women didn't have alternative. So having that money that we had transpired to something else and we put uh, the amount that we had in Febingarisha product on the on our soap making product so that to strengthen it for other women also to yani to get it at the grassroots so that women could start earning even more to understand the importance of economy being economically challenged having money and when you don't have money because when you have money some women couldn't take expired food to feed their children. So, Wangari uh, matai awards brought transformation in Kibera in terms of leadership, inspiring other people in the community, um, building synergies among ourselves and exchange learning because we've been a, a case study for so many young women groups, whereby, uh, especially women who thought that forming an organization was about money, and then realizing four years, working more than four years in Kibra without salaries, working four years doing unpaid activism, and they're seeing the difference. Even whatever they are seated, they will say, I've benefited from this project, and I'm a change maker in these communities because you've transpired my thinking. You've formed a new way of activism by engaging us and understanding when a problem is, when there is a problem in a community, it is our problem and we need to engage ourselves in solution making processes.
0: And, you know, you speak about the, the soap making project and how uh, valuable that has been, especially in the pandemic, uh, as you were allowing women to also make a little bit of an extra income through the, the soap making, through selling those soaps, and of course, being able to keep clean, which is what this pandemic has demanded most of us. You also uh, have a reading room that you've been providing there in Kibera, where schools, when schools closed due to COVID-19, the children were able to come to borrow books, to learn and to be supported in their reading and their writing. Uh, what has Manage, how has that centre been, especially through the pandemic? Um, I know that when we had our first lockdown in South Africa, that was a very challenging time for children. Um, Some children, you know, didn't actually even go back to school, sadly. I mean, I guess it's because such, such kinds of support were not being provided. Please, can you tell us about how children have received this reading room space during the pandemic?
1: This was also a privilege for children who are just staying at home and watch their parents' Uh, before the cases were reported in Kenya in the mainstream media at grassroots level at local community every day i will get a young girl who is in our program telling us the story about how their father or even how their parents rather fought and i was looking at an alternative way looking at an alternative way we had already a library then we have a small center and then was we were like why couldn't you come to our center and even live in our center because also we had somewhere to sleep. Like if this is what is happening in your family and it's really difficult for you to stay with that violation and abuses from parents, uh, then come in our center and read books. And because our space was too small and uh, just also being an active feminist, I think so many young girls are looking upon me. So I have uh, so many young girls who are my friends. Like they will just come and sit around me. So it was really difficult also to manage the number uh, because of the me- measures that I've talked about, the COVID-19 measures. So we started a mobile library. So Berry Lanyango is, uh, was our librarian by then. She works as a procurement and also as a librarian in at Feminist Center. She volunteers at Feminist Center. And then now she was taking books at home to children who, who are not facing gender-based violence in their homes. So she used to take different books, books that were uh, with less pages because they're children and they, uh, we were looking at what would motivate these children and books that were, had different colors. So it was something that it was accommodated well by our community and children could just come, Beryl could take books and, uh, children will return the books. And then when they returned, Beryl would document every process And then the next time also they request for new books and Beryl will take them to their homes. This is something that uh, also inspired one of the young girls. She's not working. She's not volunteering with feminist center. She's working with Shining Hope for Communities. And uh, she requested also our center uh, when she was, uh, after work from the community, she could come and be a teacher. And I appreciate her so much uh, during that time she could act as a teacher and bring young, young adolescent girls and even younger children in our community and teach them on how to speak English, just simple uh, language, mathematics, and simple science. Because she's not a teacher, but she was just looking at how, what else can I offer in my community. So our center also served in the evening from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. It was a school and they used, um, At Feminist Center, we had to make a small compound where we can just sit and relax. So the compound was used very well and it was really effective because during the evenings, girls and boys could come, just join hands and read books, and she acted as a teacher. And here is when also we could get different stories. And this is where we could realize there are girls who are lacking sanitary towel and there are families who were sleeping angry. Now it's also upon us to synergize and make more networks, build more networks, fundraise through our phones, ask uh, through our friends to, uh, for donation just to provide with to these families. So it's li- our library transpired a lot of things in our community from just a mayor library to mobile li- library, gar- children coming, reading books, uh, hosting as an as a informal school, which it worked during that time of pandemic, and also leading to humanitarian angle just providing food and providing necessity for girls and uh, i want also to thank uh, UNFPA because they came along and they really helped us i want to acknowledge their efforts and their donation in kind directly to us at feminist center because uh, this is where we got um even power because now we had resources we we had to provide girls with basic necessity uh, consistently during that time. Mm. We had, they provided even chairs for our center, bed and mattresses to host many women, not the women that we were hosting previously. Mm. And it's something that really worked and they came in invested into our our soap production. Mm. And it's something that is a little bit firm because uh, of their support during the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: You know, Editor, as I hear you speak of all of the really amazing work that you're doing, one can't help but be inspired, you know, to to have a sense that there's always something that any of us, anywhere where we may be, can be doing to help the community, because you absolutely, by the sounds of it, have not allowed anything to stop you, to stand in your way between you and the women uh, that you work with. It seems that you have really just put everything you have together to see what needs to be addressed and what can we do to do it. And that is an incredible lesson of your fe- your activism and your feminism, uh, the fact that there is something that can always be done no matter how much or how little you have there's always something that each of us can do to make things a little bit better and that is really the biggest lesson that I'm earning from this conversation with you Um, and I'm appreciating the inspiration that I'm receiving from you right now. Um, What I'd like to know next editor is you know, one of your areas of focus, and you have mentioned this at the very beginning when we began speaking, is that you want access to safe abortions for women and girls in this community you're working in, because it is largely still illegal in Kenya. You know, there are very stringent provisions under which women can access safe quality abortions. But for the most part, They are inaccessible. And so, of course, young women and girls are being taken advantage of by unauthorized and unaccountable providers who put their lives in in, in danger. I, I mean, so from your view... Has the government begun to change their tune on this issue? Do you see any improvements where policy and implementation is concerned? And do you feel that your efforts have been making a difference? And would you also say um, that abortion is, access to abortion is a feminist issue?
1: Well, thank you so much. And uh, I will confidently say access to abortion, access to safe abortion is a feminist issue. Mm. this also has been my area as a survivor and uh, as a woman who has been affected by unsafe abortion directly and indirectly i have family members who unsafe abortion affected them thoroughly i have friends who unsafe abortion uh, affected them also personally i'm a living story that unsafe abortion did so many tembena, brought so many uh, negative impacts in my life, in my personal life, as a young woman and as a teenage girl. We have good policies, CIDO law, we have Constitution of Kenya, we have East Africa community policies on SRHR. And it is not working. It is not working. This is intentional. Because if these policies are all there and everyone has been an advocate for safe abortion, and then our, our country also have ratified a good policies like Maputo Protocol, but still when we come in as home as Kenyan, it is illegal to access safe abortion as a choice. It is permitted. In our government, it is so selfish because under our article 26 talks about how do we access safe abortion in Kenya and why should we access safe abortion in Kenya. So it means a woman cannot wake up in the morning and decide that I want to access safe abortion. And without that, uh, the instance of policy, which has really made difficult, even more difficult for women to access safe abortion. The reality is where I live in Kibera every single day. You'll never miss children or fetuses who are, who are thrown in the drainage. We were doing a uh, national youth council work at community level, but these are things that uh, NYS didn't put in their database because they didn't ask every day when we were cleaning environment uh, during COVID, we realized so many fetuses were aborted and if they were aborted locally, it means it came from a quark doctor. So what our governments in Africa are trying to do, they are trying to strengthen the quark doctor system because this is where only women can access safe, and safe abortion. And when a woman wants to access abortion, they will definitely go anywhere. I'm a living experience because mine was a wire and then the wire was incited, inserted inside my vagina, pierced the fetus, it was really horrible, painful experience that I'll never want any young girl to experience, and I'm not alone. I'm talking out of experience, girls who have gone the same, because at that time you are so energetic and you want to do away with the the fetus, no matter what people are telling you. So, looking at uh, impediments that have been there, like the religion aspect. And uh, sometimes I would say religion has also done amazing things in Africa and globally, but they've denied women opportunity for rights, for sexual and reproductive rights. And they've done intentionally because religion is right by patriarchal system. Men who are driving religion, most of them are patriarchal. They don't understand how women feel. They don't understand when you are pregnant and you want to access abortion because pregnancy is only for females. If pregnancy was for men, today's safe abortion will be legalized everywhere, even in Saudi Arabia, where they have stingy policies also on women, because mm-hmm. men really understand how it feels to be, pre- uh, to be pregnant. But because it is women, it is really taking time and centuries for even parliamentarians who are learned who understand all these issues but just snobbing because it's a women's agenda. And uh, how abortion has been criminalized is one of the things that hinders even women to access abortion. Because right today, for example, people like us who are promoting safe abortion in our communities, we've been criminalized, called names like we are murderers, we are killers, and so many other names that are really dumped onto us. So it is not easy. It is a very difficult topic. And that's why we are fronting unspoken topics from our family level. Because if tomorrow I'll be pregnant and I don't want to keep the feet up, I will walk majestically and access services from Maristops. Because I know Maristops are providing services that are friendly for women, and women can access Maristops. But that one also, I'm speaking on a privileged point of view. Because I'm knowledgeable and I have some small money that I will access uh, me to, uh, access safe abortion at my stops, But what if a woman doesn't know, because of so much impediment, such as religion and cultures and also some structural, uh, institution that criminalise safe abortion. And what if this woman doesn't have money to access safe abortion, then alternative it's having unsafe abortion. And, speaking uh, about about unsafe abortion, it's not only wire. But when we go to rural area, rural setup, they have other ways to terminate pregnancies. They use traditional herbs, which eventually destroys women's reproductive health. These are things that we need to speak about. And the women who are also in traditional, like in rural areas, most of them have undergone or uh, accessed unsafe abortion. The problem is, is one of the topics that people have really shattered it up deliberately. Women don't want to speak about it because it has been criminalised. It, it, is, it is a fight left, right and centre. And it's something that in our conversation that we need sustainable conversation and investment on matters of our reproductive health and speak about unsafe abortion. From adolescent girls to older women, we need to invest our time, our dialogues and our power, our voice. to look at how you drive this motion in the parliament, to become a policy so that girls and women can access safe abortion. Here in Kenya, what is happening right now, you can only say, you can only access safe abortion care, but they don't care how did your abortion. They're deliberate on that. When you go to the hospital, safe abortion care, it is free in fact, they will do it for you, but they don't care on prevention measures, they don't care on the process of safe abortion. But when you come and you want to, uh, you want to access uh, a safe abortion package, it is okay, that one will access. And uh, another thing, when we're speaking about also a safe abortion thing uh, matters, we, know, we need also to look at matters of contraceptives, because contraceptives have failed women in Africa. And AFRID, is one of the hopeful, inspiring spaces that needs to promote um, women reproductive health agenda on matters of contraceptives. Because we realize also the contraceptives we are using in Africa, it's really damaging damaging the black female bodies. It's a conversation that if we snob, and if it's a conversation that we don't speak about it, because why do we need to use contraceptives when our sexual libido are low, and we're still advocating for women to use contraceptives? Why do women need to use contraceptives when they're experiencing a lot of challenges, such as backache, headaches, cramps, low mm-hmm. no sexual libido, and so many things surrounding a black female body? So the type of the contraceptive that we are using in Africa, it is something that we need to speak about it. Because we are losing many women. Many women cannot use birth measures that are placed in Africa because they are harmful to our health. I'm an advocate to promote contraceptives, but looking at the contraceptives that are provided in Africa with the Western communities, because Africa is not making any medicine. Medicines are coming from India. Then we need to question what type of contraceptives is the black female body using? Because we need to be sexually active. We need to enjoy sex when we're using these contraceptives. But contraceptives have also been a big impediment to safe abortion. They're not working 100%. Women refuse using them because of the impact they're putting in our bodies and the burden, and and giving us, um, and promoting even communicable diseases in our health but we've been snobbing all these issues because it's happening to a black female body. So it's a new conversation that uh, it needs intergenerational dialogue to look at alternative measures um, when we speak about matters of safe abortion, because we cannot speak about safe abortion, and we don't speak about issues of contraceptives and even HIV.
0: Thank you, editor, And... um Wow. Just to also give some further context, uh, that you, you, know, you mentioned the Maputo Protocol, which is the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Women in Africa. And this was already signed in 2003, which is a document that basically recognizes that gender inequality undermines social, economic and political empowerment. And this is something that, you know, quite a few countries have been signatory to about Forty nine so far, and yet, as editor mentions, you know, as you mentioned, editor, there, there's the political will to enforce uh, the, the various. Um, the various aspects has been very low. And I guess because we are in this patriarchal system where there is very little urgency around issues that affect women, uh, around our reproductive systems, around our health, around the urgency of having access to safe abortions. Um, as you have you know, so rightly said, Editor, as with many young people on our continent, you're someone that's active on social media like Twitter. And would you say that there's an advantage to having a social media visibility when it comes to activism work as you do?
1: Yeah, social media has been a tool of change. It has not been easy using social media, but I want to appreciate the platform because it has given us... uh, an opportunity to amplify our voices as women in different directions. I will see something that is happening in South Africa. I will see something that is happening in Yemen through social media that is affecting women and human rights. So it's a, a tool of influence also if it is used properly and if it is used in a very positive way. But at the same time, social media has been harsh to women like me. It is not easy to use social media when you uh, women are also underrepresented and you want to speak about women issue, you want to speak about LBTQ issue, and you want to speak about uh, self-abortion issues. All the time, you'll receive masses of discrimination. For me, I took it as a challenge and put it as an opportunity and as an eye-opener because we need to be consistently in social media as women. We need to change narratives in the social media. We need to empathize with other women, send up a solidarity through social media. When we remain visible in social media, it means other women will come and use it as a tool of change. I've been talking to young women in Kibla and I, I, just out of curiosity, ask them, why don't you use social media to speak about these issues? And they're like, oi, I cannot speak in social media because I see how they abuse you and insult you every single day, editor." I tell them social media is not real life. Real life is down here. There is amplifying our voices because we are underrepresented and our issues need highlights. Because social media has given us also an opportunity for us at grassroots level, for the longest time uh, the main, mainstream media, especially international media, have refused deliberately to highlight the issues of grassroots women, poor women, women of colour. But in social media, when you have your small bundles, your small airtime, you can amplify your voice and reach, tag different people, and reach masses of uh, different people. So I'm looking at so- social media in a very positive way. And in Kibera, we have a Feminist uh, a for Peace, Rights and Justice Center. It is a page and we have a Kibera Ni group. So whenever we posted anything in our page, we also post it, we forward it to Kibera Ni because so many women are dominant, are, 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 are not active at, at, in social media, Kibera Ni but they are there as observer. It's something that we noticed and those are our audience. So when we speak, we know we're speaking to people who are seeing us, people who are, know, knows what we are doing, but people who have, not, who have power to speak but because of different impediments, they're unable to use social media to amplify our voices. So as much as we have different challenges because also communication in Africa has been expensive, just mm-hmm. affording balance, just having airtime, just getting uh, Wi-Fi, it is out of privilege and uh, right now I may say, I'll say, I'll also affirm that <clears throat> acknowledge that I'm privileged enough, that's why I'm in this space, I can speak to you through my social media and uh, I can reach different women because at least I can afford to get into those spaces because investing in our communication is something that has hindered women and have led women especially during this time of COVID whereby so many trainings are done through through an uh, online platform, and it's really challenging. And uh, recently I realized that as women, really experience challenge and abuses because of social media, because when I'm speaking to you, the same way I'm speaking to you, if I love my partner, they think, why oh, am I speaking too long on the phone, and I'm not taking care of family choices. Mm-hmm. Some men didn't think their, their partners were working, and it brought It had ripple effect, and it caused gender-based violence in different families. And uh, you know, the women who experience this are women like me and you, and they've not recorded their stories, they've not recorded this violence that happened to them when they are working at home using online platform. Because Mm -hmm. when you're using online platform, you're like, you're speaking to people and you're not speaking to me. Why are you not taking care of the family? You are to work at home, but some partners didn't know that their partners were working at home and it was used against them. So it is a a tool of change. We can accommodate it, use it in a very positive way, but look at what is challenging young women who are so energetic, who understand their issues and who can articulate their issues better to get into social media. and. women issues be presented in social media and reach even um influential group like u.n women united nations african union and even afrid
0: and you know you're completely right that social media um, can amplify our voices and allow us to have those forms of transnational and international support and solidarity so speaking about support which is so very necessary i would imagine uh, to you because you know by challenging the oppression of women you're doing brave and sometimes dangerous work and of course this is about you and also the women that you work with at the feminist center so who do you keep in your network of support who is who are you able to have as a safe space after you have done the very tiring work of pouring out so much of yourself into your community?
1: In our community, we've done, at Family Center, we've done a concentric circle to enable us to identify our, our our network of support. It is something that we did deliberately out of my personal experience because I'm always the face of bad things in our communities. So the network of support, when it came, it was something that we needed. We realized we have different organizations and we have friends who are willing to support and families also who are close to us, who who are really supporting us. And at this point, I want to appreciate our Coalition of National Human Rights Defenders Kenya, Defenders Coalition. They've been so supportive In our work that we are doing, especially when we feel insecurities. In terms of providing safe space for us, protect us as human rights defenders, in terms of referring even other human defenders who are experiencing the same, and giving human rights defenders shelters to protect them uh, from violation and even from the states, because some of the cases we've before were violence that happened in, the, in a public school, which is a government-owned school, and government didn't want that case to be amplified. So you find yourself in danger, and even the victims, our survivors, were really, it was really hard for them. So they came and provide security for both of us, and even the families. And number two is Femnet. Femnet has been providing solidarity support for us at grassroots level, checking up on us, which for me it's a support when people take their phone check up on you in the work you're doing it means they they have thoughts over you and young women leadership institute these are some of the strongest pillars that we have and other grassroots organization like coalition of research coalition of grassroots human rights defenders we have feminists in kenya uh we have minority women association making a different sisters and Superbia in Kibera. These are the network that we personally identified as our network, our support network, and the Life and Peace Institute in all, because uh, they've been there for us, helping us to do monitoring in, the, in our community, looking at how do we engage women in matters of peace and security in our communities. Yeah, and the family level, like our families, we know families who are supportive, and family members who are not supportive. And this is critical when it comes to matter of insecurity and protection in the work that we are doing. Because if you have a family member that is not supporting your work, then they can be used against you at any other Mm -hmm. point. So we also uh, do security training for our members when we are doing concentric circle at organizational level and also at individual level.
0: Wow, and speaking of speaking of family editor, just to move on to a more personal note, uh, you have mentioned that you are the fifth of 18 siblings in a polygamous family. Can you tell us about your childhood and some of your favorite memories growing up?
1: Uh, growing up I'm from a big family with 18 siblings and four parents, it has been amazing. Mm-hmm i will appreciate my father however much previously was so patriarchal but he provided peace in our home having the pillar of just having peace in our home it has enabled us for us as a family to be so transformative and it has really connected to true love among our siblings uh it has been a privilege growing up in such a family because also growing up in such a family needs a person who has open heart, a person who can accommodate so many things, a person who can also be a leader who nurture other siblings to see things differently and also to have a mind of social change. Uh, A person who can meditate and help the family to resolve issues at family level and bring family to have unity and cohesion among ourselves. So it has been beautiful, because this family has also influenced my personal leadership. Because I was molded in this family, looking at different issues. I've seen Cold War in our family. And I've seen my role, the role that I've played in the family to unite uh, this family. So it was really great for me to come up in a polygamous family that was so loving and caring and urging just also my father having I will say fair attitude of taking both of us all of us boys and girls in school but uh, on cultural perspective it was really hard to grow as a girl in the same family because all privileges could be given to my brothers uh, when I was born It was not easy for my mom because she was expected to give birth to a male baby. But I came up, a female baby was extremely dark. It was not easy for her again. So she used to keep me in the house for the longest time. I'm one of the children who stayed for the longest time without names until, she tells me until her friend came and gave me a name editor, which she doesn't even understand the meaning. So all those challenges, just growing up in such a family, you are a girl again, you are underprivileged at some point because you are just a girl, and because here the agenda is boys club. And uh, everyone maybe needs to be a boy in, a certain, uh, in a such a family, uh, because boys are, ten, uh, boys are masculine, boys can bring A, B, C, D without understanding and realizing that also girls can grow up in a, a, that kind of a family and be a woman who I am today. Today I will say, in such a family, I've shifted a lot of narratives because I've done things that were expected for my brothers to do. Uh, right now, I'm working also with women in the village. I just came up from a courier. Courier is a village, it's a rural village. And uh, I was working with Ms. China Empowerment Courier, the young women-led organization were championing for girls' rights against female genital, genital mutilation and cutting. Yeah. Uh, Previously, I visited Ugenya Social Justice Center. This is my home village. And I realized how women were so lonely. And most of them are my relatives. And how women are living under poverty. How these women are really subjected to a lot of things. So I started an initiative with uh, my small pension that I'm getting to provide women with cattles. So I've just started with five women it is i'm just one month old because i saw a need of women to become economically empowered empower, empowered through agriculture so i, I buy uh, goats i bought goats for these women and then i bought my myself i bought two a female and a male so that i can provide more to other women who are in needy situation I was looking at how they are lonely, and when they have these goats, some of them will be pets, and some of them can be used for, in their, uh, to provide their basic needs as a way of uh, making them financially independent if they will sell these goats in future. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a a long-term goal to empower women economically. This means because I came from a bigger family, and I realized there were, we had, uh, we, we, uh, we lacked basic needs uh, in a such family because it was big and my father was the only one who was working paying school fees and uh, it really took a lot of things from us because at 14 years old I also lacked sanitary towel and I was so improv I was I was improvising um my sanitary towel using a nylon paper and rugs to just make a sanitary towel and I lacked. Even panties to put uh, sanitary towel on top. So these are the issues that have really motivated me uh, in the community. As I look, as I look at where I came from, because because my family can define my leadership role today. They really shaped me. They are really supportive despite the challenges that we faced initially, and despite the patriarchal attitude that I grew up in but today i'll say things are different in my family because every young girl in my family every woman in my family are feminists today and they're advocating they're doing something for community they're advocating for women rights whatever they are
0: Wow. wow that is wonderful editor and to keep hearing how You just keep pouring and pouring and giving of yourself in different ways. As you mentioned, this new project where the focus is agriculture and allowing women to own livestock to see if that can also help to transform their lives positively is really such an inspiring story to also hear on top of the many inspiring um, stories that we have heard from you today. And um, of course, beyond stories, these are the things you are implementing in your day-to-day life to make the lives of your community so much better. In terms of your future plans for the Feminist Peace Rights and Justice Centre, can you please tell us of those? What are you looking forward to implementing more of in the future?
1: The future is promising, (laughs) and I'm really grateful uh, when I look at the future. Right now, I also won an award. I won a Social Change Initiative Fellowship Award uh, this year. And it's something that it has really brought transformation in my life. It has impacted my personal life. Just having a coach uh, who is Mildred Ngesa, who has been journeying with me despite she's not feeling well, she's unwell. But she's been hopeful and looking at the future uh, where my leadership needs to go and just every day inspiring me with different things, providing different tools to solve problems, Mm -hmm. providing different tools also to work in the community. Right now I'm working with 30 young women from Kibera and I'm really happy just to be in this space because I've been enabled to provide resources in terms of human resource, facilitation skills, um, monitoring and evaluation and different trainings to these young girls. But what has made me so happy, it is uh, they are angry. Uh, making these girls angry, it is something that I did deliberately, because they need to understand there is a problem. It is not normal to be poor. It is not normal for women to lack basic needs. It is not normal for women to be underrepresented. It is not normal for women to be, inequal- to be included in everyday in inequalities, um, groups all the time. So, just giving them that fire, making them so angry, it means also we are creating or molding leadership that is responsible and is transform transformative, and also leadership that is ready for radical change. So, looking at my future, we are going to political era in Kenya in 2022, and I'm. I'm also going to test the waters again for the second time, for the second time. The first time it was in 2019, I tried on MP seats and I didn't uh, manage to get there. But uh, I was not a failure as well, because for me, I believe in learning and I believe in trying. And it was a really, really a wonderful experience just to build courage for myself to get into such space that is so hostile. It is a boys club, a space that is so expensive, a space that you don't understand the language, but you are just there because I want to learn and I want to be visible to tell the women and show women a new way of leadership and to make women understand that political agenda is also our agenda. In 2022, I'm coming back as a member of county assembly in a small ward called Sarangombe ward, and I'll be vying um, for these seats. I'm just doing my small assessments, analysis, to understand what does this space look like. Like, it is horrible, it is threatening, because again, I'm going to a male-dominated space, and where I come from, politics is life, for so many people. People will rather die because of politics, but it is also an opportunity just to build again courage to get into these spaces and change a lot of narratives. Uh, If the space will be so hot a little bit, then there's also an option to step or walk out because when you're advocating for feminism, we also tell women, we don't need to die on spaces that are, are are not secured for us, Places that are threatening our family lives and also our personal life. But I'm just looking forward to getting into this space and change the narratives. I know the only vote that I have, it's my own vote, because I know where I'm getting into these spaces. It is not easy for a woman to be elected, but we need a starting point. We need to be visible. We need to be consistent. And um, I'm willing to build courage enough to get into that space and get into the ballot for 2022 apart from a political space uh, in our income generating activity and uh, during these 16 days of activism something has been just running into my mind and I was asking what if also well um, st- what if at organizational level we start looking for different support for these income generating activity, and I've been requesting for support because uh, these uh, the soap production addressed so many challenges that impacted, the pan- that came from pand- pandemic last year. The 50 liters, we, if we make 50 liters of soap every single day, when we start with every single day we make 50 liters of soap and sell in a community and I make a, prop- a profit of 5,000 shillings per day, that is around $50, right, per day, in quebera Then it means, um, on a daily basis, fro- this SOAP will generate a lot, this SOAP will improve outcomes for both girls and boys, and it means purely development. This SOAP will make women take their children to better school. I didn't go to a better school. I just went to a school, and as a as a slow learner, it was really difficult. But right now, because I'm a bit economically empowered, I've taken my daughter to a better school. So women and g- women will take their children to a better school, which means development again, which means knowledge. Women will take their children to access better healthcare, better housing. We live in a slums. That is sham. It is highly concentrated with high population. Uh, um, It is um, not environmental friendly for women in terms of environment issues, climate change issues, and even security. So if these women will be empowered through this sub-production, if we are going to invest in future, then this is what it means. Better future, and women will be owning title deeds. Women will have even voices to have legal documents such as title deeds to own their homes, to own their lands because they will buy for themselves for a future. It means be, making a future big to build better every single day. And I'm also set up because of uh, challenges that we've been getting from different companies, because. We are competing with different companies. We are not the first people to make soap, but we are the first people to make a different uh, soap and that will bring equality. This soap is equality. When you look at Femingarisha soap means equality. It means change. Femingarisha means sense of pride because it's made by local women. And uh, it, we are using horizontal structure. We don't want a soap that will employ a manager who will earn 40 million shilling but we want to make we want to kill capitalism aspects we want to do a business that everyone will earn equally and everyone will contribute because of their passion and all potential will be acknowledged when we are doing this soap production we want to invest in this project to talk to t- to talk to, t- uh, to, t- to talk of needs of both human and financial resources uh, because uh, financial resources is important as human needs we are looking at what potential do we have as an individual and what can we bring on the space the same way just to ask and request for financial resources because when you're speaking about these women from Kibira. Sincerely, we are speaking about women who, have, who are living under poverty. Women who will exist because somebody, some woman will support them. Women will, will, will have a difference in their lifestyle because there is support that is coming from other parties. So this is what we want to do at Feminist Center. But Mine is political, but at Feminist Center, we want to... Put more effort in our financial aspects of making SOAP, to make a different uh, way of how business has been have looked in Africa uh, to take out away capitalism and bring socialism when we are doing all these uh, proce- when we are in all these processes of making women to be economically empowered, yeah.
0: Wow, thank you, Editor, and we absolutely wish you the best on your political career and for the Feminist Center's journey into soap production. May it really change lives in the way that you hope, and I truly believe that the community and society at large will benefit greatly from having you as an MP, so all the best for that journey, Editor. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much.
0: So, Editor, we'd love to find out what brings you joy?
1: Uh, thank you so much for this question, and a lot of things bring me joy. Just being my myself, my well-being, my existence, brings me joy. Um, it is because a lot of issues, uh, most of us as women, we've been frightened talk about but I will find myself speaking about them and uh, after that women will just come to me in a very private way and say you spoke my language thank you so much and uh, every day most of the women will tell me I wish I had 20% of your courage to continue with this journey and uh, just acknowledging women are not homogeneous it's something that gives me joy because of our diversity makes us beautiful and uh, it gives us different sol- solution of um, in development world. So a lot of things makes gives me joy. And uh, right now during these 16 days of activism, my joy is here because even the president in every country globally understands there is essence of speaking about uh, ending violence against all forms of violence against women and girls. In whatever land, so it is something that gives me joy. Feminist ideologies gives me goosebump, which means joy. Um,
0: We love that editor. And speaking of feminism, can you please complete the following sentence? Feminism
1: to me is. Feminism to me is activism. Feminism is the values and feminist principles that we have. If we practice feminism, we make a difference. Feminism to me is building a new Africa that was denied opportunity to explore. Feminism is changing how African leadership has been working. Feminism is doing away with capitalism deliberately, without an apologizing. Feminism, to me, is bringing progressive pan-Africanism ideologies back to build better Africa, to reclaim back our resources, to ensure we promote equality, to ensure we provide peaceful coexistence for every man and woman in these communities to develop us as African better every single day. Mm -hmm. Feminism is a struggle. It is a fight. It's an endless fight. It is transformative. It is protecting the rights that have been existing, promoting coming up with new ideologies, testing the ideologies, protecting the black female body. Mm. feminism means intersectionality looking at things different acknowledging that different inequalities makes different women vulnerable in different situations. indeed
0: indeed thank you editor and now to end off can you tell us what are the two things that you do to treat yourself what are those two things you do to practice self-care
1: so two things that, uh, I treat myself with is staying with my family. Uh, my family gives me energy. My daughter will just wake up and say, you're the best mother. And it makes me feel good because I'm always away from home, working from different, with different communities. So they tend to, I tend to have minimum time with my children and my family. Another thing, I love listening to music a lot. So I listen to music and dance anywhere. So, listening to music, I have two types of music, and especially the one that chants African feminism, and uh, listening to African uh women who sings development who sings feminism i will they give me joy all the time
0: we love that we love that uh thank you so much for sharing yourself thank you for sharing your story in your voice today it has been wonderful to listen to you to learn along with you as you are giving us these very important lessons for feminist organization, for feminist community at the grassroots level. It has been amazing to sit here and be inspired by your dedication, by your determination, and by your absolute insistence that women and girls must be free and must live lives of pleasure and joy. Thank you so much, Editor, and we hope that you continue to enjoy your
1: day further thank you so much for hosting me it was nice speaking with you and also listening and uh, let me tell you the reality is speaking like this is also a healing process Mm -hmm. because this is where you realize there are things that you haven't said about your life but it's a space that also has brought um, a space that has brought like sharing yes. with other people, and it's also a learning space because for me, when we share our story is where we learn and where we look at how do we solve different issues as women and as feminist women. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Editor.
1: Thank you. Enjoy your
0: day. African Women in Dialogue is a podcast that was created and brought to you by the Zanel Mbeki Development Trust my story in my voice. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow our social media for updates. We'll connect again
1: soon.